Tonight, I'm um, going to be studying the book of James, uh, starting with verse, um, starting verse, uh, starting with chapter three. Tonight, um, they've been doing this Young Lion series, and when it was officially, um, when we were first asked to participate in it, uh, we were going to do um, our f- three verses that really stuck up to us, or three lives. Um, uh, things in the Bible that we could really hold on to and, and that God had walked us through. And, and we did it and, and was very um, honored and, and very excited to do it. And, um, and then they said, hey, after this, we're going, to, we're going to extend it a little bit towards the end of the year. And I just wanted to take a moment to, for all the, uh, the pastors and the leaders and everyone that was involved in this. It's, it is not a, a little thing to let people come up on the, on the uh, platform here and, and preach from the word or share their testimony. And so I just want to say thank you again to you guys and to the congregation for, for allowing that to happen as well, too, that you guys have been very gracious, and it has meant a whole lot to us, uh, and it's been an honor to, to share the word with you guys. Um, tonight, uh, and here in a minute, too, if you guys would like to go ahead and turn to chapter 3, we're going to read some of that here in a second. Um, I'd like to do a, a little bit of um, background. Uh, Justin touched it on uh, briefly the first night uh, on for chapter 1. And uh, I think it's important whenever we read a text, whenever uh, we need to know who wrote it, to whom they wrote it, and why they are writing it. And so I want to go just do, he, Justin touched on a little bit the first week, but I want to break down a, a little bit more and, and talk about some different things here just so we can understand the context. Uh, who wrote it? Uh, tradition tells us it was uh, James, the brother of Jesus. He was also known as James the Just. Uh, I say tradition because, you know, no one really sort of signed it afterwards. Uh, or some of Paul's letters where he said, you know, this is Paul writing to you, uh, James. But we have some pretty early records in, in that he wrote it. Um, half-brother of Jesus, he was the brother of Jude. He was the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. Uh, Paul, uh, as we know through Scripture, uh, Jesus uh, gave that ministry to him. But as he went and left, uh, James was the one that took it over. Um, James died in uh, the year A.D. 62. He was stoned to death, according to the historian Josephus. So that's a little bit of who James was. Now we need to know to whom James was writing to. Uh, if you look right there in the very beginning of uh, chapter 1, it says, G, uh, James was writing to the Jewish Christians who had been scattered throughout most of the ancient Mediterranean world because of the, uh, excuse me, the persecution of the church. They were under a lot of pure, uh, persecution at that time. When that happened, it spread out. But we also know from Scripture, too, is that Jesus said, you guys are going to go and preach to Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the earth. And that, when that persecution hit, uh, it scattered. It scattered them. And which is interesting because the very, if you look at chapter 1, he says, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. And it's neat that this, their trial here, the things they were going through, actually um, showed what Jesus' words said were true. Uh, it's possible these groups of Jewish Christians uh, were outside of Palestine uh, which fits with the different situations of uh, persecution and, and poverty mentioned in the letter. Conflict had entered the church with factions and people living worldly lifestyles, because um, that never happens in church. Uh, they had failed to put their faith into practice. As a result, they had become double-minded, wavering back and forth between God and the world. Now, why was James writing this book to them? James was checking on the churches, correcting and encouraging them. He was being a pastor. Uh, I just wanted to take a moment, um, if you guys don't mind, just to mention uh, pastor is a very, um, very important role, specifically in my life. It is uh, something uh, that as a father, pastoring my, my children, 
um, as a husband, checking on my wife, and, and in the relationships God has put in my life, some of the men uh, that God has just sort of tugged on my heart, you need to check up on him. You need to see how he's doing. Um, but for me to do that, that has also had been done to me. And uh, I just want to um, say briefly here real quick that uh, Bruce and Wayne, throw that there, um, have been very uh, influential in my life. Uh, Bruce, for about seven years now, has been putting up with me. Uh, during breakfast and, and, and last few years, they have dug in more into the scriptures. And, and Wayne, in the last couple years, and I can't tell you how influential that has been on my life, that I've had a couple godly men who've been around the block a few times and have been able to take me aside and make that time and say, we're going to walk this out with you. We're going to help you learn the scriptures. We're going to help you with your lifestyle, and we're going to walk, walk along with you. A few weeks ago, Wayne had me, uh, after the, um, the tithes and the offerings, had me come up and ask me some questions. And he asked me about, um, on my face before the Lord, he's like, where'd you get that from? And I said, I, he was asking, looking for the Bible, but I said, Wayne Berry. And as he kicked me off the stage, um, <laughs> I was thinking about for a moment, and, and yes, the answer he's looking for was the Bible, but why did I know that was in the Bible? Because Wayne took the time at Waffle House, and we broke down scripture together. And he showed me and he taught me not just where it was in Scripture, but what it means and how I can apply it to my life. So those are very important that we have pastors and we have men uh, in our lives that pastor us. Not all of them will have the, the you know, title of pastor or be a paid pastor, but there are different people that we need to reach out to our lives that need to pastor us. And also to people we need to go out and we say, hey, I need, let me help you along the way here. Um, thirdly, uh, there was a pastor, a fictional pastor, um, that I saw as a kid, and as I got older, it really jumped out to me. It was the pa uh, Reverend Shaw uh, Moore from the movie Footloose, if you guys have seen that. Uh, John Lithgow plays the part. And, uh, and as a kid, and it, the, the, it sort of gets a bad rap because he's a very, you know, comes off very fire and brimstone and um, very zealous uh, for his church and for his community. But watching that movie through the eyes of an adult, uh, seeing the, little, the writing and the acting in that movie, that that was a guy that spent time with his community. You see him going down playing with the kids at the nursery. You see him with the, the women's board talking to them, just sharing them about the Lord. And as I got older and just really saw the heart for this guy, even though he's a little zealous in some areas, um, how much he cared for his people and the people that God entrusted to him and how even through the movie, God works on him and, and, he, and he changes a little bit for the better. But those are some things that really stuck out to me. So when we see James writing this, he's caring about his flock. Uh, its primary theme and central message is living out one's faith, to be a doer of the word, not just a hearer of the word. Uh, proofs of true faith in Christ with James stressing the product of faith. Also, too, uh, I'm a fun fact guy. I love little fun facts, little behind-the-scenes. Uh, I mentioned before, I love VH1 behind, the uh, VH1 behind the music, E! True Hollywood Story, love Bible, movie, and music commentaries. Uh, for some reason, they, they really interest me. I like to know the, the behind the scenes of what's going on. So studying James here, I want to dig a little deeper. I want to know more about the history and what was going on behind the scenes. And uh, with that passion and love you know, for the Bible and want to understand the Bible, you know, I, I come up with questions like, um, you know, Eden, where, where is it at now? You know, the Bible gives pretty, um, uh, some pretty, you know, hey, turn right here at the place where they make gold and make a left here, and there it is. I'm like, we can't find that anymore. You know, is it under the Persian Gulf? Where is it at? So things like that plug my head. You know, where's the Ark of the Covenant? Uh, things like that really um, jump out at me, you know. Um, 
why was Superman 4 so bad? I, I really, like, I was more interested watching the commentary for Superman 4 than I was for Superman 1, because I want to know why did they make such a bad movie? And, uh, and different things like that. I like to know things, um, and I like to do that with the scripture, too. That, that's sort of a common theme in my life. I like to break things down and, and dig a little deeper. So here's some fun facts, again, about James. Uh, written, they think, between A.D. 45 and 49. Um, it's called the Proverbs of the New Testament, which I didn't know that until this study. Uh, most of the books do not have a format of an epistle, but rather a collection of wisdom sayings, much like the wisdom literature of the Old Testament. Although James does not quote any statements of Jesus exactly, uh, they are more reminiscent of the Jesus' teachings in this letter than in all the New Testament epistles combined. James offers a greater number of similarities to the Sermon on the Mount than any other book in the New Testament. James says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. And in the Beatitudes, Jesus said, Blessed are the persecuted, for they will inherit the earth. Um, also, too, going back, this book has also sparked a controversy within the history of the church. Some say that the parts of James seem to contradict the writings of Paul. James says, by works a man is justified. Paul says, by grace, not by works. Martin Luther was known to say, James contradicts Paul by teaching justification by works. But this is simply not true. James describes justification before man. Paul speaks of justification before God. James says we are justified for works. Paul says we are justified by faith. James stresses the fruit of justification. Paul stresses the root of justification. Paul dwells on the source of our faith while James tells about the fruit of our faith. Paul lays down the foundation in Christ and James builds the superstructure. Christ is the author and finisher of our, of our faith. We need to believe that and we need to live that. So just before we start reading the scripture here, a little recap here. James 1, we talked about testing of faith. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Also, too, James 1 talked about hearing and doing the word. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And James uh, 2, covered by um, Brad last week, we talked about being uh, partial or uh, showing favoritism. And also, too, it talked about faith without work is dead. And uh, in verse 17, it says, by faith, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, it is dead. So this is a little recap from the last couple of weeks. If you turn in your Bibles, please, your tablets, your phones, or your scrolls to James chapter 3, whichever you have, your old school. Yeah. Um, three points here I want to try to uh, go over real quick, starting with James 3. Um, one will probably be a little quick. First one is be qualified to teach. Second point is watch and guard your tongue. And the third point is be wise in your deeds. Starting with verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. Teachers, and in uh, other translations, masters, need to be qualified. They need proper qualification. Uh, it was interesting to me that this said uh, master. I never saw that translation before. And we're teachers slash master. And uh, it's funny because the kids, Bruce is, you know, uh, he worked out at Weary for years and 
and help us rebuild our, build our place out there. Uh, they gutted that out. And, and the kids, when they were little, um, would be around them much and say, Pastor Bruce, and uh, because we have Asian influence in our family, uh, I would say Master Bruce, you know. And he would, you know, don't, don't say that. But here, we got, we got scripture to back it up, Bruce. It's okay to call Bruce Master Bruce now. So there you go. Um, uh, they need to be, teachers need to be qualified. Um, I think of a doctor. Uh, you do not want a doctor operating on you if they are not qualified, if they haven't gone through the school, if they haven't gone through the training. Uh, scripture tells us that it's a good thing to, to, to desire these things, to want to be able to teach the word, but we don't need to take this lightly. Uh, I've been um, given the opportunity to hang out with some of, uh, one of the teaching pastors at Christ Presbyterian Church in Brentwood and uh, David Filson, and I had a real good time getting with him and, and, and talking about the word together and uh, and it's been, and he's also, he has such a heart, he has such a head for the word, but also a heart for the word, and, and for people as well, too, and it's interesting, because I go to these, they call them doctrine dudes, and they go over, you know, different biblical doctrines, and we talk about it, and, and, and what we believe in it, and guys, you know, I'm 35 now, and there's guys, you know, right out of high school, or uh, early 20s, that are in the word, knowing what they're talking about, and studying it, and for me, it, it didn't, um, it didn't discourage me, you know, it didn't, oh, wow, I'll, I'll never get there. They're, they look how young they are, and look how much they're into the Word and all that. But what it did was it challenged me. Uh, if uh, I feel a tug and a pull to, to teach God's Word, um, to, to share that with people, to, to unpack it, I need to take this seriously. I need to be qualified and approved to uh, share God's Word because it's not a light thing, I think, at all. And it's, it's an honor, but it's a huge responsibility to say, this is God's Word, now let me help explain that to you. And thank you for the grace, by the way, for letting me do that today in, in the areas that are not as clear. Um, you need to know also, too, with this, uh, and just personally, too, I, I have, as the years go by, that, that tug and that pull to teach and preach does get stronger. And so I take this verse very seriously. And, and, I, uh, and at times in my, my lifestyle hasn't always lived up to this, but as the years go by, that challenge to, to, to clean up my life more and to make myself more presentable, not just in the study and the word, but how am I at home? Do my kids see me up here preaching and, and teaching or in class? And do they see daddy at home? And how is he at home? You know, is he in a bad mood? Is he tired? And, and unfortunately, those things are true from, from more often than I would like to admit. But the, the call still, and this is not a discouragement, but it's you need to know the cost. You need to know what you're pursuing. Um, and why you're pursuing that. Because when you're out in the middle of the ocean and the waves and everything are coming back at you, you need something to stand on. And that is whether God has called you to do this or not. Uh, marriage, you know, uh, marriage is, and I, I hope, let me put this claim here. I have a great marriage. I love my wife very much. Uh, for 13, 14 years now. And uh, um, 14 together, 13 married. I just covered both. And, um, and I'll share with some people, just marriage is so great, but it can be so hard. And please understand that when you're going into it, so when, when the trials come, when everything comes at you, you, you can hold on and say, hey, this is coming. This is supposed to be coming, and we need to stand on this and stand together. And the same thing for us that, that pursue to teach. Um, Jesus said in Luke 14, to consider the cost. Whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? So again, those of us that, that are teaching and, and preaching are wanting to get into that. We need to consider the cost and take it seriously. Um, also, too, just an example of Jesus in the garden in Gethsemane. The cost felt so much for a moment that he asked the Father, is there any other way? But again, he had a foundation with the Father, and that's what he stood on when, when he wanted to throw the towel in. 
got to know a lot of different pastors and, and get to know some of the behind the scenes. And I love, again, I love behind the scenes. And with a pastor, not just to know their dirt, but to know what did you struggle with? So when those things come up to me, I don't feel like, oh, this is normal. This is going to happen. There are, there are going to be things going on uh, with staff or, or with the congregation. Uh, but to be ready and prep for that. So when it happens, you don't think something odd is happening to you. But you can stand on that. Teachers need to be an example for controlling their tongue. Jesus said in Luke 12, For anyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. From the one who has been entrusted with much, much will be asked. And Stanley once put it, great modern-day poet, with great power, there must also come great responsibility. In verse 2, it talked about we stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. So it says here, consider the cost, know what you're going into, but also guess what? We're all going to stumble. There's grace. Uh, Ronnie, um, I've been able to jump in the classes. Uh, I've been here 20 years. I've never been to an, uh, a newcomer's class. I thought it'd be a good idea to go. And so it's actually been neat just knowing some of the history of the church I didn't know and, and, uh, and all that. And one thing he talked about, that he wanted this to be a place where, where we, we don't tolerate sin, but it's okay to mess up in a sense of you're not going to get stoned. You know, get back up, you know, uh, deal with the sin, and let's move on. And for me, that was just encouraging to hear this is a place where if you fail, we're not going to go out and crucify you, you know? Where we're going to love you, we're going to build you back up, and we're going to get you back out of it again. But you're, you're going to fall sometimes. James calls for good works, but not perfection. Uh, I used to deal with this in my own self. Um, I would come to church some days. Uh, you know, teenagers do crazy things on the weekends. And uh, as you get older, you learn adults do too. And uh, I would come to Sunday morning just burdened, just, just heavy-hearted, uh, frustrated. And Paul says in Romans 7, why do I do the things I don't want to do and I can't do the things I want to do? Because there was a real passion for me to, to walk this out with God and to live a holy life and, and want to have a holy lifestyle. And I would beat myself up so much. I remember Richard Jacobson in, in the old uh, sanctuary would just hug on me, love on me as I'm bawling, like, Richard, why, why can't I get this? Why can't I shake some of this stuff? And, and he would just encourage me and love on me and let me know, David, you just need to know how much God loves you. Because you know it up here, but do you know it in here, David? Because when you know it in here, no matter what I do, no matter what I say, no matter how fall I, far I might fall, he's still going to love me. And as we need to practice that as a body, but let's be honest, we all don't have that kind of grace in us. We need to get there, all right? There's some things in marriages. There's some things in our own personal life with friendships. There's a line that if you cross that, this is over. This is done. But we need to understand with our Heavenly Father, there is no line when you have breath in your mouth. As long as you are breathing, as long as you are still in the game, there is no line you can't cross that he won't bring you back. Verse 3 says, when we put bits into the mouth of horses, we make them obey us. We can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they, are, although they are so large, they are driven by strong winds. And they are steered by very small rudders whenever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a very small part of the body. But it makes great boast. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. So this is the second point, our tongues. Um, whenever I prep for these, I'm always worried, am I going to have enough? You know, am I going to at, you know, 30? Okay, guys, you know, worship team come up. And, but when I'm thinking about it and dealing with the tongue, I really, you know, I should have plenty of stories to, to share with you guys about putting my, you know, 
my tongue getting in the way of certain things. Um, so I'm going to share some of those in a minute, but it's interesting to me, these bits and these rudders, they're very small things that control very large objects. Our tongue is one of the smallest organs on our body, but it can control the whole body at times if we allow it. And sometimes that might be for good. Uh, that might be not always, it's not always a negative thing, even though it's taken here as negative. Uh, our tongues can speak blessing or they can speak cursing. Um, small things have a big impact. If you know me, been around me, I, I don't go off much. Um, uh, ask my wife. I get tired, I get moody, I get quiet, um, but I don't pop off a lot. Um, and, and so when I do, it's sort of like a Bill Bixby Incredible Hulk. The eyes go green and, and, and the clothes start ripping and, and all that. And, um, and, and Victoria's seen that more than anyone, but there's been a few times it's, it's been out in public, and, and one of the times um, I, I just snapped, I lost it, um, was uh, me and my father had got into it. And, and, and this one, I think it was 22 years of just stuff building. Um, you know, we, me and Victoria had just gotten married, like just got married. Uh, Mikhail was four months old and just living at mom's and it was just, you know, a lot of drama going on. And, and I snapped. And, and to, to say first though, you know, I, I could say, well, you know, I mean, just got married and, and we had no money and live at my mom's and we have a four month year old and me and my dad had a rocky relationship. And, and I can make excuses, but something Bruce said to me one time was that, you know, I don't know what to do with an excuse, but I know what to do with sin, you know? And that when, when we go through things or, or we, we look at ourselves, well, you know, there are things that might go on that might been, give some more of an explanation of why David snapped. But at the end of the day, it's sin. And I can't make excuses about that. I have to say it's sin, God forgive me, and I have to move on whatever that consequences is. So I encourage you guys with the sins, and we all have them, and, and it's really hard to look in the mirror and say, okay, no, no excuses here. God forgive me my sin. Now let's move on. So back to the story about me popping off. Um, uh, me and my dad got into it, and, and my mouth just flew. Uh, it flies more often than not, but you, it's, it's subtle. I'm sort of that ninja, you know, I sort of, as Victoria, it's real. The voice doesn't go up. It's real dagger-like. It's like, where did that come from? But it's very, I mean, I grew up on SNL and living color. It's there. And, um, but my dad, it, it exploded. And not only did it explode on the phone and voicemail, Exploded at his front door about 10 minutes later, and I just, I, I snapped. I lost it. Um, let's say, you know, front door, no one opened. I, I went back home and uh, get a knock on the door about 15 minutes later, and it's, it's some of Smyrna's finest police officers there. And they ended up hearing my voicemail and thought it was serious. And I have a mugshot now. I have fingerprints, and I have, um, I have probation for a year. And so I tell you that story to say that we have to guard our mouths. That was not my M.O. to, to pop off and, and freak out at people's house and, and go off and say a lot of things that came out of there. But I let my guard down, and, and I let things fly out, and there were consequences for those things. Yeah. And they weren't over overnight. For a year, we were paying on things and, and having to court, me in court. and just, It was just an odd. Uh, Aaron Shaver, seven years ago when I was in youth with Isaac and them, had to come up to me and says, hey, you've got a record. Is everything doing, you know, sort of as, because they, they check your, uh, when you, ever you work with teens and kids, which is a good thing, they check your record. And I had something on there. So, sorry, so I do have a mugshot somewhere. Um, <laughs> verse 6, tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire. And it itself is set on fire by hell. Uh, evil speech destroys things. Uh, it destroys relationships. 
It can destroy things on the body. It can cut much deeper than, than any of us realize or know. Um, another story where I get my mouth got in trouble. I was in uh, junior high, I believe. And some of us were at a Christian camp. I went to Belmont Church. And we're all playing around. And again, I have, you know, sarcasm a little bit. As Wayne says, sarcasm is not a fruit of the spirit. And he's correct. Um, and I, uh, some girl, supposedly, she was a little overdramatic. But we're in the, you know, going through these trails. And a bunch of, a group of us just going out and at this camp. And I said, oh, I saw a snake. And it, it looked right at me. And, 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 uh, and it, ran, it went back in the hole. And I said, well, if I was a snake and I saw you, I'd probably go back in the hole too. <laughs> and so... Everyone sort of, you know, and it, it, I, I didn't mean to be facetious or mean, but it just sort of flew out. And I was like, I'm sorry, I was, I, was just, I was just joking. But she didn't take it jokingly at all. And for about a day, a day and a half, that girl would not talk to me. And even where people were like, hey, like, he's really sorry now, it's okay to, you know. Uh, and actually, it, it sort of really bugged me really bad that this person, I, I hurt him that bad. And because we don't know what's going on with people. We, we don't know what's going on behind the scenes. We don't know what they grew up with, what, what's going on, how their day was. And so we have to guard that mouth because sometimes we can say things, even if we don't mean them, all right? Sometimes they can be daggers and they can really hurt. And, and it, it broke me down so bad. It was the last day, and I was like, I don't want to leave this trip with this, you know, with this girl being upset and hurt like this and with it, me sort of carrying this. I inflicted this on somebody. And it broke me so down. I was bawling. I was real emotional. And I remember just getting up on the platform and just saying before we leave, just saying, I hurt somebody's feelings really bad, and I'm sorry. Because she wouldn't let me talk to her. Like, I tried a couple times. She's like, nope, get away. And, and finally, when I did that, and I just sort of bawling, I'm sorry, forgive me, you know. And it broke something. But it was neat, too, because it also impacted some other people. That we, our things do fly out of our mouth. Uh, they, they do hurt others. And, and we're all going to be guilty of that from time to time. But that doesn't give an ex excuse to go and make that better and, and apologize, if that person is willing. Um, it destroys things. Uh, I'm on a U2 kick right now. Their new album just dropped, so I've been listening to a lot of U2. They have a song called Yahweh. And in the song Yahweh, Bono writes, Take this mouth, so quick to criticize. Take this mouth, Lord, and give it a kiss. Take this city, a city should be shining on a hill. Take it, the city, if it be your will. Take this heart, Lord, and make it break. And when he said that line, take this mouth, it's so quick to criticize. And God, give it a kiss, make it clean. Verse 7, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by the tongue. Are being tamed by mankind, excuse me. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. No man, no human being can tame the tongue. That's a pretty bold statement. And it made me think about a verse uh, down there at um, Matthew 19 uh, where Jesus he was talking about people, you know, how hard it is for people to get into heaven. And Jesus said, but look at them. He said, when the, with man, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. Through the Holy Spirit and through you trying to, to um, uh, how would I say it? Not that Holy Spirit has to give you the power, but you have to do some work into it as well. You have to engage the Holy Spirit and you have to, sorry, I had Wayne in my head when I heard that. You have to engage the Holy Spirit and, and ask him for help on this. God, filter my mouth. Help me, Father God with these words. Help them not to fly out as daggers. Verse 10, out of the mouth come praise and cursing. Brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? Brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grape vine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. 
if we are God's people, if we're his children, venom should not be flying out of our mouths. And if it does, we need to get repent. Pray we need to repent to God because when, before we sin to anyone else, we sin to him. First commandment, no other gods before or besides me. When something flew out of your mouth and you were hurtful, you put something up before God because what you wanted to say became more important. You ever had something in you and it just burned so bad and it wasn't the Holy Spirit and you just could not wait to get it out? It's amazing to me, words, once they are out, they don't come back. And now they're videotaped in their own podcast and now they're really etched in history forever. You will know a tree by its fruit. If we profess Christ, if we want to walk in step with the Spirit, we need to make sure our fruit is from the good tree, not from the bad. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear bad fruit. Every tree that does bear bad fruit is cut down and thrown to the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Again, no man can... It's impossible to keep your whole body in check all the time. But we need to guard our mouths and watch this. Last point, two kinds of wisdom. Starting verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. We're supposed to be humble and gentle with one another. Uh, humility that comes from and wisdom. In the ESV, it says meekness of wisdom. Meekness, gentleness, and humility. Gentleness is one of the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5. Matthew 5 says, Blessed are the meek, for they inherit the earth. Matthew 11 says, Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Philippians 4 says, Let your gentleness be evident to all. Colossians 3 says, Clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Bear and forgive one another. And Proverbs 11 says, But with humility comes wisdom. We're supposed to look different than the world. We're supposed to be meek, gentle, and humble. Not only with the body, but with people outside the body. If we let our light shine before men, they will see our good deeds and praise our Father in heaven. This is the attitude of someone following Christ. Christ was meek, gentle, and humble with people. One of my favorite verses in all scriptures, John chapter 8, the adulterous woman. I don't know why, but that just jumps out to me. I always has as a kid... Uh, always has uh, throughout, and even in the films, uh, whether it's The Passion or Jesus of Nazareth, that scene always gets me, the compassion, the gentleness, and the meekness Jesus had with that woman, who was just caught in, in a horrendous act. And he, and he didn't okay the sin. He didn't say, you know, don't worry about it, it's not a big deal. He says, go now, sin no more, and leave your life of sin. But before that, who's condemned you? Where are those that have accused you? No one. He goes, neither do I. He was gentle with someone that whole world had just, imagine, well, don't imagine, but if you're in a crazy situation, the adulterous woman, you just got ripped out, and now you're thrown, and now your neck is on the guillotine. This is it. You're done. And the panic and the fear that woman had, and Jesus came down, and he built her back up, and he was meek and humble and gentle with her. And he, he struck her, gave her correction, but he built her back up. Verse 14, but if you harbor bitter envy, selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny it. We don't like to admit our struggles. We don't like to um, deny. We like to deny the truth. We don't not like to look in the mirror, which James talks about earlier too. It's very hard 
And I don't know if it's, it's just um, our flesh, sometimes our pride, or sometimes not wanting to admit it, so we have to deal with it. It's very hard for us, I know for me especially, to look in the mirror sometimes and see how nasty I am. Sometimes when I look in there, I'm like, God, I, I just, that's, that's not a good person. And I know you'll love me, you'll forgive me, but what about everyone else? Will they see me through your eyes, Father? And that's a fear I have sometimes. Will they understand? Will they love me like you love me, Father? But we have to open ourselves up and we have to be vulnerable. He took the hits for us. We need to take the hits for him. And he asks us to be open with our lives and share them. And to sometimes share our dirt, not just for the sense of just to, to gossip or whatever, but say, I struggle too with this. This is something that I've wrestled with with God. Chuck Dobbs, who used to go here, uh, the Dobbs, uh, I knew a couple of his kids. Uh, they were in uh, junior high or high school with me. And he told me one time, David, uh, you're only two choices away from being like any other man who ever did anything horrendous in history. And that really helped me with some things I was going through with my father at the time. I mean, my dad have had a, you know, uh, sometimes good, sometimes not so good relationship. And, and I was being pretty hard on him. And, and, he, and Chuck sort of took me aside, very gentle and very loving. He says, David, you're only two choices away from being like him or anyone else. And that really humbled me a little bit. It's only by God's grace. It's only by God's grace and, and the strength he's given me. Yes, we do make our choices. Yes, there are consequences for those. Uh, but I, I also need to understand it's because God came down and he saved me. And even the faith I have to love him and to pursue him, he put that in there. I can't even take credit for that. He gets all the credit for that. In verse 15, it says, Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Verse 16 says, For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. God is the opposite of disorder. In Genesis 1, we see how God took chaos and he made order and structure out of it. We see that in Genesis 1. We see that all throughout Scripture. He takes the Israelites out of Egypt, slaves, slaves mentality, and he gives them the law to help bring order and structure to their lives. All throughout, we see, and we take the early church, and we take the Jews, and when Jesus came, and he taught them a whole new law, love your neighbor as yourself. He has constantly taken chaos and making it into order. Verse 17, but wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, and good fruit, impartial, and sincere. Here's the answer for controlling your tongue. We need to practice these. We need to be pure. We need to look at our hearts. We need to be clean, innocent. We need to be peace-loving with others. I am um, debating about this one for a while, and I'm going to go ahead and share a little bit. Uh, it's nothing too horrendous or anything. I share it because I think it's something we've all struggled with at time to time. Uh, I've been at this church 20 years, um, and the two men I was closest to in, in my early years had left the church, and not on great terms. Um, and with me, and, and because those are the guys I was close to, and I didn't have any hard feelings here, but I, I went with them, and, and I followed them. They were my pastors. They were my shepherds. Uh, they protected me, were there for me in some really hard times. And so with them gone, though, and, and then things, usually a lot of that doesn't always work out like you planned or how you, how you thought fit, and then we would, this would be sort of where we came back and, and get reestablished. But for a while there, I really went through some struggles with the church. And I, I think not just Springhouse, but I think just church in general. And there were things inside of me 
things that, that harbored and, and that I, there was frustrations in me. And I just want to share that for a minute because I think that's something we, we, all, we all can sort of raise the hand. Have you, anyone had church issues? Anyone sort of, you know, felt like they, they didn't like things or they didn't understand things or maybe they felt they were, they were wronged? And, and it made me think so much about a family and a marriage. Um, about seven, eight years ago, me and Victoria decided this was home and that we were going to make a covenant with some of the people here that unless God told us to go somewhere else, unless God said, I'm moving you on, you know, my cloud's moving, you need to follow it, we were going to dig our heels in like you do a marriage, for better, for worse, for sicker, for poorer. I like you, I don't. You're getting on my nerves. We're going to dig in. And, and as a body, you have to have that. As a body that the world can see and say, hey, there's something different about those folks. That's a motley crew. They, they should not be getting along they should not be trying to share the gospel together or loving each other together. We all are going to go through things here. We all are going to have our opinions, and we all are going to have our thoughts about things. But we need to put that, our mind and also our tongue, to the filter of the Holy Spirit. We can read here in the early letters, uh, you keep hearing about New Testament, we want to be more like the New Testament church, how the New Testament church was, but you go digging a little deeper, and it was pretty, it was pretty, you know, um, People sleeping with their moms and just real weird, <laughs> weird stuff going on there. I was like, I don't remember any of that happening here. So it was interesting for me to see that they had their problems too. And, and, but they were committed as a body. And we need to be committed as a body to be committed to one another, arm to arm. If you see the, uh, the Battle of Thermopylae and the Spartans, how they would soldier up together. Their shields would come in together. And it would block any from attacks. And that's how the body of Christ needs to be. I've got your back no matter what. You could have said something that offends me. You're my brother in the Lord. I'm going to get over it. And with that attitude, that, you know, the enemy doesn't know what to do with that. He can't do anything with that. We have to push through as a body, saints. We have to say we're a body of Christ. We have a mission. We have a job. And even if hell gets on our way, we're going to plow through. And finally, in verse 18, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. There's consequence for our actions, good or bad. Things we do, guys, have consequences. Please be careful on what you do and what you say. The worship team can go and come up with it like. Um, I'd like to list a couple different pastors. One of them that um, has really struck a chord with me last year is a... Um, if you call him a pastor, but he, he goes and preaches a lot, and he's a preacher, Ravi Zacharias. And he said, there are many temptations that might never cross our mind. Things that, you know, like uh, none of us might want to go be a Nazi and, and go enslave a bunch of Jews, or none of us might want to say, I want to go massacre these people. Those are temptations that are, are things that come across us that we might not ever have to deal with or ever have to, um, to face. But a temptation that will cross every single one of our minds is doubt. Every one of us has to deal with the temptation of doubt. We all have to choose what to believe. We have to ask, is this true? Is God's word true? Is this what Jesus, uh, this is what Jesus faced during the temptation in the wilderness. Was he going to believe the lie or was he going to believe his father's word? And he said, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So we've been studying James, we, we hear scripture, we hear God's word. We have a choice, guys. 
We can either believe it or we can doubt it. The choice is yours. And God says through scripture, I give you an out to choose me every time. So we're not without excuse. No temptation is so great that we can't stand under it. I've always given you an out. So I hear you guys stand on his word because that's all you have to stand on sometimes. When the waves come and everything comes crashing down at you, stand on his word. His promises are always yes and amen. Can we stand? The splendor of a king Trembles at his voice. 
as you go out this week. The shackles are undone. The rules have been disposed. The stone has been moved. And the grave is now a groove. All deaths are removed. Oh, can't you see what love has done? Can't you see what love has done to me? Know what love has done for you. Know how he has changed you. And let it change your words and your deeds. Go with God. Love you guys.